Hey, everybody. Welcome to uh, the Living Streams podcast and uh, a deep dive today. And uh, it seems to be a thing that we keep doing recently where we're diving deep into these uh, subjects. And we're, we're talking about some pretty big subjects in this series. And um, I'm sitting here with Alec Seekins. How's it going, Ryan? Thanks Doing so great. much. Doing great. Yeah. And uh, we're, we're unpacking his sermon this last uh, weekend, which we've uh, gotten a lot of uh, really great conversation that started from it. It's, um, it. It is a deep dive in and of itself, even just that sermon. Uh, well done. You squeezed a lot That's, of info that is into a half an hour. What I tend to do. <laughs> yes. I, yeah. really, I really want to be able to have an hour. <laughs> yes, exactly. You're like, so how can I fit this all in? Talk fast. Yeah. That's, that's my And jam. so, you know, we're going to continue this. Uh, I think your, your, your warning on Sunday is probably warranted again today. To, if you've got kids listening, you know, it's, it's probably a little more PG-13 today. But uh, we're unpacking this idea of conflating intimacies, which I just thought was a really brilliant way of communicating what we've been sensing, what we've been seeing in uh, sexuality and what's going on with culture. Um, And you sent me all these notes, which I actually have sitting right in front of me. Um, And we've got a lot of charts, a lot of data we're going to go through today. So uh, if you're nerdy with all that stuff, you're going to love that. Uh, If you want to even dive deeper and figure out where we got this information, we're going to actually link all this stuff onto uh, the YouTube channel, um, wherever we could squeeze the the links into it. Uh, Alex worked really hard to try to find primary sources and links for all of this uh, information. Um, But it's just audio, so we're going to explain these charts the best we can to you uh, as we go through. But let's just jump right in, because there's a lot that we have to talk about. And uh, this idea of conflating intimacies, uh, again, like I said, was just a beautiful way of kind of encapsulating this. Um, how would you how would you jump into, you know, I think for us, really intimacy, uh, when we're not talking exclusively about sexuality, which in our culture you talked a lot about on yeah. Sunday, we tend to conflate that. Um, but there's a deeper intimacy. There's a, a, an intimacy that really there's only one English word for, and it's the word love. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are so many components of what love looks like. Uh, for you, how do you wrap your head around that? Yeah, I mean, there were a lot of things uh, planned in this message that I spent a lot of time in my head thinking and trying to figure some stuff out. Really, honestly, I, I wish there were a less you know lofty-sounding word for it, but there was a lot of philosophizing that went into the early phases of this yeah. message. Uh, and then what's, you know, f- for people who... Uh, who preach sometimes or are getting started that or people who maybe don't know that process themselves, you know, it's really important to make sure that you don't get those ideas that you're coming up with represented as the word of God, right? That you yeah. then go, it's, I think it's good and healthy and right to spend some time thinking somewhere in the process and the message mm-hmm. and trying to figure out your own philosophies, ideas, taxonomies, thoughts. But then we go to the scripture and we say, well, what does the scripture say? And yeah. I, and I need to really recognize that as the source of truth. Yeah, right? and you do a good job of, like, I think the John Mark framing of, you know, when Jesus is, is speaking, he says a lot of times, you've heard it said X, mm-hmm. but I say Y, you yeah. know? Yeah. Uh, and I thought you did a great job of that on Sunday. Yeah, like, we could get dive into some of that stuff, but it's not a TED Talk. We, I yeah. mean, it's a sermon. We're, we're trying yeah. to lead some somebody somewhere. Yeah. Uh, and you got to kind of hit both. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and usually, really, you know, it, it's, it's a lot of that space that I have a tendency to spend before we get to the passage is really just mm-hmm. trying to build the tension and say, hey, here's the problem. And I don't need to go to the scripture necessarily to point out the problem. We can see the problem. The yeah. scripture is where we often find solution, 
right? And so anyway, you know, before I went into the scriptures to say like, okay, what what is the solution? What is the what 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 is the Bible saying? I wanted to try to wrap my mind around well, what is what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Yeah. Don't hurt me no more, you know? <laughs> Baby, uh, don't hurt me. Uh, but really, what what is love, right? There's so many yeah. different kinds of love. There's And there were so many different angles uh, that I think we could approach this. Um, and, and just a lot of these thoughts just didn't, they didn't make sense in a sermon. They weren't scriptural. They weren't the word of God. I don't think they were contrary to scripture, but they were really helpful for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So when you say components of love, that was one of the frameworks I looked at. I looked at, you know, mm. okay, how could we create like a taxonomy of love, different kinds of love, but mm. also what are the things that come together to create what we talk about love? Yeah. I think, you know, we have this, and I've heard people say this when they talk about, you know, I, you know, I mentioned how in the English language, we only have one word for love and other languages like Greek or Indonesian have multiple words. Mm. And I've heard people say that before and they say, well, you know, it's a problem because I love my hamburger, but I love my wife, and mm. and yeah, that, that's but that's not exactly the issue we're talking about because that's just hyperbole, yeah. right? The truth is, you like the hamburger, you enjoy the hamburger, it tastes good, mm. and you use love because you're engaging in uh, you're using a poetic uh, sure. tool, you know, yeah. what I mean to say yes. I love it. Yeah, uh, that's not exactly the same thing, mm. um, but there are different kinds of love and different things that come together. So when we when something genuinely is is love, and we're not using hyperbole, we're not saying something you like or enjoy, but something you actually love. What are the components that come together mm. for that? Yeah, and it yeah. seemed to me um, uh, th- these four prepositions came to mind. Right uh, yeah. from of uh, sorry. Yeah, from, mm. for, of, and with, right? So yeah. uh, what you want from the beloved, what you want for the beloved, appreciation of the beloved, and intimacy with the beloved. Mm. Um, and and uh, th- these were components that I think uh, could exist in any kind of love, right? So in a mm. minute, we'll talk about different kinds of love. I hit on that a little bit on Sunday. Mm. Uh, but, you know, there's love for your kids. There's love for your f- friends. There's love for your family. There's love for your spouse. There's yeah. all sorts of different kinds of love. And, and yeah. it can be, you know, we'll spend some time talking about a taxonomy of that. But mm. But it, uh, I think when we talk about, you know, from, for, of, and with, want from, want for, uh, uh, appreciation of in- intimacy with, I think uh, particularly with the from and for, the want from and the want for, it can be helpful to look at the relationship between a parent and an infant um, mm. where this is, you know, yeah. beginning to, to take existence, right? Um, a, an infant only wants from their parent. Yeah, uh, there's nothing that an infant wants for their parent, hmm. right? It's I I want my diaper changed. I want milk. I want this. I want you to hold me. I want. But you're I in want, the midst of right now. Yeah. Yes. Very much. <laughs> you're so. experiencing this, is this all the time. Yes. Definitely helpful for me, uh, for sure. It's interesting how you know. I think something about watching the beginning of such a profound form of intimacy really does inform your understanding of love in a lot of ways. Yep. Uh, and a parent only wants for their infant. Mm. There's nothing a parent wants from the in- infant. You mm. know, I don't want my newborn child to. Do anything, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just yes. want them to exist. Yeah, right? he or she can't give you anything. Yeah, yeah. I, I do want intimacy with them, but I think that that's that's a different category, right? Mm. Um, and as the infant grows, that changes, right? Mm. My kid's now eight months old, and now I'm starting to want things from him. Like this mm. morning, I wanted him to finish his bottle so I could get out <laughs> of the door on time. Yeah, but he wanted to play with his bottle. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and so that, that does begin to change and I, we can have dialogue now and I can tell mm-hmm. him like, well, 
some yeah somewhat of a dialogue right and yeah, i yeah, say yeah. hey like silas finish your bottle like <laughs> no stop playing with this thing stop yeah, playing with the yeah, bottle yeah. finish it yeah, yeah i want i want this from you mm-hmm. um and as he grows that will change eventually i want him to do chores yes. and then and and, and 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 he will begin to want things for me mm-hmm. he'll be sad when i'm sad he'll want yeah. you know uh, he'll want good things for his dad. Yeah. And then later in life, it begins to maybe even pivot to where the balance might shift, where when you have parents who are elderly, you want a lot of things for them and you yeah. want a lot less from them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that can be really challenging, I think, for the parent in that dynamic. I mean, I, I think anybody mm-hmm. who's had their parents go through that phase of life no, can see, or any, any uh, parent who's gone through that phase of life mm-hmm. can see how painful it is to be needing more from your children than you're able to provide for them. I don't know yeah. that the parent ever uh, starts wanting more from their kids mm-hmm. than they want for them, even when that has to take place. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And so then the other components, right, appreciation of, I think we can look at that really simply, right? It's very easy to appreciate um, to have an appreciation of the beloved, right? This mm-hmm. could be a physical appreciation, you know, for your spouse, mm-hmm. uh, but this could be so much more. This could be, an appre- you know, I look at my son and I, and I appreciate how he's the smartest eight-month-old in the entire world, as, <laughs> yeah. as, every, as every parent seems to feel. You know, yeah, he's yeah. just so, sure. there are so many things about him that I just really appreciate, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and, and it, it, you know, it's, it's a, it, the same way you appreciate a sunset or, or mm. in similar ways, you know, there's yeah. just, I, man, there's so much value there. Mm. Um, and then there's intimacy with, mm. you know, that's the other component, right? Intimacy with, you know, and, and that can look, and that's what we spent a lot of time on Sunday talking about. There are so many different kinds of intimacy, mm. you know, the intimacy between parent and child is not the same as intimacy between, yes. um, between spouses. It's not necessarily the same between friends. You know, there are different intimacies that sometimes blend together, mm. Uh, but sometimes at least shouldn't. Yeah. Um, and, and they're not really intimate. You know, what we talked about Sunday is sometimes when you take, when you conflate the wrong intimacies, it doesn't create intimacy. It poisons it. Mm. Um, Which I thought was such a great point. I mean, that there's a certain sort of intimacy with your child Mm -hmm. and there's a certain sort of intimacy with your wife Mm -hmm. and there's some overlap. Great. Hugging and, you know, and all Mm -hmm. of that stuff. As soon as you add sexuality into... Uh, you know, the marriage relationship, great. You yeah. Know, child relationship, not great. It yeah. poisons it. And yeah. I thought that point was so good. I mean, yeah. that's that conflating of intimacies, mm-hmm. which uh, obviously our culture struggles a lot with. They don't know, you know, yeah. how to, how to, you know, draw those sort of boundary conditions. Um, but I love that, that conflating of, of intimacy is a great way of like wrapping our head around what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. Because I think when, sexual intimacy gets into everything, it does kind of poison. It Mm -hmm. poisons friendships and things like that, which we're going to talk about a little bit later. Um, But I think another way to wrap our head around it, which I think most of us who are followers of Jesus, we're like, oh, well, what about C.S. Lewis and the the four loves? You know, maybe there's another way to wrap our head around it. Uh, Was that something that entered your thought process at all? Yeah, for sure. In a lot of ways, it was was pretty formative. And I I did want to say, too, even just on that point, you know, that that conflating intimacy as you were kind of helping pivot us into this next topic, right? Uh, you know, I, I said it on Sunday, but Rebecca McLaughlin's works, mm. uh, especially confronting Christianity, and then one we didn't mention, but we mention this author all the time, yeah. um, Nancy Piercy. Yeah. Uh, but one book I don't think we've mentioned yet of hers, which was I think the first book of hers that I read, um, "Love Thy Body." Yes. Uh, which is not 
a book about self-image. I think when you read the book, the title is so right. But if you haven't read the book, you're like, uh, this is a classic example of don't judge a book by its cover. Or yes, title. for sure. Yeah, um, people are like love thy body. Yeah. What a weird. It's yeah, it's actually an amazing. Yeah, it's an amazing book. Yeah, and very helpful for this exact thing. She traces a lot of. Um, in fact, probably helpful for the other sermon I'll be doing this in this series. We're digging a bit deeper into kind of differences in culture and some things like that as far as, as far as love goes. But mm. um, but where she talks about uh, essentially the fact that we have a low value for the body mm. being at root of so many issues. Um, yeah. And the church actually is is the part of society that actually ironically has a really high view for the body. Mm. If that seems backwards to anybody read the book it's so powerful yes. so good and you realize wow yeah that this is this is so true sounds very counterculture yeah but yeah um yeah so cs uh, so i re- i reread cs lewis's four loves uh yeah. it might have actually been the first time i read it mm. I, i'm not sure actually it was it's one of those books you're like i know i should have read this yeah, yeah. i assume that i, I have at some point yeah <laughs> it was actually kind of fun audible's version of it was the only professionally recorded uh you know, at length recording of C.S. Lewis. So oh. it was actually C.S. Lewis reading. Oh, it's it. him. Oh, yeah. that's cool. The the recording quality is horrible because it, was, <laughs> yeah, it yeah. was old. So I had yeah, to yeah. crank it up and really focus in to yeah. understand what he was saying. But mm. uh, but it was fun to hear C.S. Lewis read his own book. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so in that he talks about four different la- four different words that the Greek language has for love: uh, mm. storge, phileo, um, eros, and which he breaks up into into Venus and Eros, um, mm. which I think would be similar to you know romantic love and erotic love, mm. um, and um, agape. and an agape, yeah. right? Yeah. What's interesting is that I, I I read through that and then I went and I did kind of a skim through of the use of agape um, and phileo in the New Testament. Was surprised to see that eros and um, and storge don't actually come up in the New Testament. You say ph- you see phileo storge in the New Testament, but no mm. uh no storge by itself, but they were yeah. still were I mean they're ancient Greek words they just happen to not be in the New Testament. Yeah. Uh, and C.S. Lewis as amazing as he is, yeah. he's not the Bible. No. So it's like no, 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 we, no. we were talking about and this he's not like, claiming that in this yeah, book. Yeah, totally. Yeah. This, yeah, yeah. This yeah. book isn't even intended to be theological. It's actually yeah. much more philosophical. Mm. Um it's it's a very it's kind of an outlier for C.S. Yeah. Lewis books. The other thing that's an outlier is that as I skimmed through that, I realized I don't I don't know that his understanding of phileo and of agape is in line with the usage that I'm seeing in the New Testament—it's mm. um, yeah. not wildly off. And so then I, of course, uh, when I saw that, I thought, "Is C.S. Lewis wrong about something? I need, I need <laughs> yeah. to ask Dan Riccio." Yes, yeah, you, you know? got to ask Riccio. <laughs> you yep. know, and yeah. and yeah, and he more or less pointed to the, to what I was witnessing as yeah, some a lot of uh, modern Greek scholars would say ah, he kind of missed. The mm. usage of those terms a little bit. Yeah. Now, agape is the love that that you find in the New Testament that's talking about you know God's love for us, but mm. it's not exclusively that. Yeah. Um, you can see people agapeing things that they ought not to agape, mm. and phileo is an exclusively friendship love. There seems to be an emotional component. It's actually used as as a it's the same word for kiss. Mm. Uh, so there's something emotional. There's something some uh, regard mm. of passion there, but not not all kisses are passionate. You know, but. Mm. Um, but yeah, so he talks about um, he talks about Storge as this family love. I, I really mm. loved, and I think he hit, hit this well when he said Storge is the love that your dog feels for you. Mm. Um, he mentioned a lot of other things, but th- mm. that's a really clear place to see it, you know. Yeah. Um, 
And I would say the the Indonesian uh, comparison there uh, would be the word sayang, mm. um, which is the word that uh, like you'll hear you'll hear my wife and I call each other sayang. You'll hear us call mm. our child sayang. It's it's the equivalent to the nickname love. Yeah. Right. When you call your wife or your kid love, you, mm. you know, like when you call yes. your wife love, you don't mean necessarily my lover. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. mean something much more. And it feels kind of English. Like I feel yeah. like in like England, maybe they say you know. Call each other love, which yeah. I totally get. Yeah, yep, yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. And and so in in Indonesian, yeah, sayang is is a word for love. It's a word for family love. It's mm. it's a broad sense, and that's and that's probably very similar to the word storge. Yeah. Um, now, for people not familiar, this mm-hmm. is one thing I thought about on Sunday yeah. with you. Uh, the reason you're mentioning Indonesian is because you spent time in Indonesia. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. it was it's it was kind of funny. I'm like. It's not a it's not a it's like, like biblical from? language. Yeah, where no. did that come from? If yeah. people don't know your story, you spent a lot of time there. Yep. And that was helped you wrap your brain. Yeah, right exactly. Yeah. Just a, a very different language uh that you know, and they say I I, I played around with mentioning this, but um uh, oh, I'm spacing his name right now. Chomsky, Noam Chomsky, yeah. uh, who I would not recommend uh, <laughs> listening to any of his philosophies or politics or any yep. of that. Yeah. Uh, but Noam Chomsky, <clears throat> you know, is uh, he's he's still kicking. He's a pretty old guy, uh, but he's I didn't know he's still alive. Yeah, he's, I watched an <laughs> interview amazing. with him the other day, and I was like, ooh, wow, crazy. Okay, <laughs> yeah, he's he's still alive, but he's he's hanging on. Okay, all um, right. Yeah. But you know, he. Um, He's the, they call him the the father of modern linguistics, you know, Mm. and the main idea that he brought forth and is known for is the idea that that our language affects the way we think and the way we think affects the way uh, a language develops, Mm. you know. And so this was really helpful for me in, in, you know, when we were living in Indonesia is watching this and seeing these these different words for love. I was clued into Mm. three of them when I talked to John and BC who speak Malaysian, um, they, which is the same language, it's like American and mm. Australian, it's, it's that similar. Yeah, um, and, you know, he pointed out there's one I was missing, but yeah, so anyway, um, <laughs> so moving, moving on with uh, uh, with C.S. Lewis, right? So then, phileo, right? Which C.S. Lewis talks about this as friendship love, mm. but not friendship love, or you know, it, friendship love, brotherly love, but not friendship love or brotherly love that's exclusive to friends or exclusive to brothers and mm. sisters, you know? Yeah, um, and and he's right about that there again. There seems to be more of a of a of a charge to phileo, I think mm. in Greek. I don't know. I'm not a. I'm not an expert in this, but just from the cursory looking at the usage in the New Testament, yeah, um, there seems to be a bit more of like a, an emotional component here. Mm. Phileo is the word that gets uh, connected with so many other words to create the love of this, the love of that. So, yeah. philosopher, mm. philosophia, lover of wisdom. Uh, um, yeah. You know. Pedophile, you know, <laughs> pedo being, you know, yeah. child, you know, and then file, but you know, you put it at the end, it's someone who loves loves children, you know, mm-hmm. and that's a twisted use. But yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. It, uh, so its roots are all over yeah. the place. So. Uh, Philippi, uh, okay, yeah. lover of horses. Okay. Um, oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah, hippos, okay. horse. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, so you see, you see that, that connection. So it's just a thing that you love. It's a more general Mm. use of the word love. And then Eros, I think is probably pretty obvious for us. It's the root word for erotic. Mm. Um, you know, and again, C.S. Lewis splits that and he, he talks about Venus, you know, which is, you know, not a word they used for love, but you know, he's looking at the God of Eros, the God Venus. And he's saying, Mm. Hey, here's a romantic love. Here's erotic love. I think that's a really helpful philosophy of love to understand. Cause I think we can see that there's a difference between they're, they're connected and they only belong in the same context. 
text, romantic yes. love and erotic love. Yeah. But romantic love is appropriate before marriage. Yeah. Um, erotic love is not. Romantic yeah. love leads to erotic love, but not necessarily every time. You mm. know, like a candlelit yep. dinner doesn't lead to you know, yeah, fun time. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and and so anyway, and then mm. and then agape, C.S. Lewis says, hey, this is the pure love of God. Mm. And I think it is the love of God and is the, God's love for us. But it, it, in Greek, the usage can also has some more mundane components, you know. Okay. Uh, it can be, you know, you could love the world. And mm. We find that usage, if I remember correctly, in the New Testament, you know. Mm. I, 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 To me, it seems like it may be a profound and deep... Mm, holding of something as precious mm. maybe uh, yeah which again i don't know there's someone who's who knows ancient greek a lot yeah. better than me who could say but that i mentioned this on fir- first and third service that to me mm. looks like the indonesian word uh for kasi which this was yeah. this is so helpful it's one of the first words you'll learn in the indonesian language mm. because it's the word terimakasi is how you say thank you um, yeah. kasi is the word bible translators use for god's love Mm. Um, and it's a it's a giving love. Um, BC mentioned this as well. That I don't remember the comparison, but in in um, in the Chinese worldview, this is this is actually almost. She said, kind of the um, romantic love doesn't really exist in the traditional Chinese mindset, mm. but a giving love is the idea of that deepest level of love. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, terimakasi means in Indonesian means you know I, I receive the love, the the giving love that you give, right? Because mm. obviously if I'm thanking you for something, something has been given, an act or actually a physical thing, right? Yeah. Um, and this is rightly so, I think, Indonesian Bible translators said, this is the closest thing we can say to the love of God. This is what mm. is happening in agape to a significant yeah. extent. You know, there is a self-sacrifice, a laying down, a me giving to you thing. It is, yeah. uh, maybe it's connected to to the want for kind mm. of love. Yeah, um, yes, you know, yeah, and yeah, it's selfless sort of love, yeah. yeah. And I think it's, it's interesting, I mean, obviously, C.S. Lewis might have missed it just a little bit, but... I think we all kind of miss it just a little bit, right? It's yeah. like this is such an idea that is so multifaceted, mm-hmm. and it's like one of those things that it's your whole life. You know, when somebody gets married, and I've and you and I, you and I both offici- officiated weddings, you're going, I'm going to explain as much as I can what marriage is to you, yeah. you know, but this is like day one of this marriage. Mm-hmm. Every single day, every single year, you're going to learn some new things, you're going to go through some hard things, you're going to learn good things, and... And we're all figuring out what does real love look like to some mm-hmm. extent in our whole life. Yeah. But our culture's gotten very, very confused in that. And we've oversimplified it in a lot of ways, you know. Yeah. And I love this because it's bringing a lot more dimension to something that our culture really honestly tries to add only one dimension to. And really, it's sexuality. Yeah. I mean, everything's wrapped around, you know, uh, love is love. You mm-hmm. brought that up so well. It's like, on its face, that statement is true, uh, but not in the sense that they mean it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like for them, love is sexuality. Mm-hmm. Love is having sex with who you want to. Like that's that's what it is. Yeah. Uh, there's no real self control in it. No exclusivity. Mm-hmm. No curiosity on whether that's helpful or not. Sort yeah. of you know temptation. Uh, and then there's no additional dynamic around it because it's like as soon as that sexuality runs out, then the love runs out and you move on to the next person that you, mm-hmm. quote, love. 
Uh, and it's really a cheapening of love, whereas I think a biblical view of it and this sort of idea, like C.S. Lewis tries to do, wrap our head around kind of this multifaceted view yeah. of love. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and I would say, too, you know, C.S. Lewis might have missed it as a linguist in that book. He yeah. didn't miss it as a philosopher. And even that was really helpful for me to mm. to think about this because it's uh, l- love, loves, yeah. uh, is our uh, a complicated thing that it's it's very easy to conflate them. Mm. You know, we're talking about abstract, exclusively about abstract, and abstracts that have this common root in you know want from, want for, intimacy with, appreciation of. Yeah. Um, not necessarily all three of those components, but probably <clears throat> usually. Sorry, not necessarily all four of those, but probably usually at least three of them, and, yeah. and probably usually maybe all four of them in mm. some degree or another. Um, you know, and you can see how it's like, well, okay, well, if, if my love for you lacks the want for you, the want for the beloved, does that make it not love? Mm. No, but it can make it really unhealthy love, yeah. right? And, yes. it, you know, going back to that, you know, with parents, when you see... One thing you see oftentimes in uh, collectivist cultures is one of the distor- that that's less common in individualist cultures is a distortion of a parent's want from their kids, mm. right? In in individualist cultures like America, uh, we one thing we understand pretty well is that a parent should not want from their kids mm. into uh, or, or that that can get outweighed and outbalanced and it's not healthy right yeah. and we, yeah, we yeah. look at what, what was the show with the toddlers and tiaras and those kind of things and you know <laughs> yeah. like and we tend quintessential to, yeah we yes. tend to judge yeah. that because we're like i can see you as a parent wanting from your children a vicarious life and that's not yes. unhealthy and we judge it and we shame it culturally <laughs> yeah. speaking yeah rightly so yes to, to yeah. a certain extent yeah, yeah, yeah maybe yeah. some of those parents are healthy parents I don't yeah, know. yeah 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 but for uh, the most part though but yeah in in southeast asia the number one reason women are in the sex trade mm. is because of what their parents want from them. Their parents mm. and their families expect them to to bring money into the family. Mm. And so to the extent that they sometimes knowingly, many times knowingly, will sell their kids into sex slavery or will encourage their daughters to go and work in the sex trade mm. to send money home because there's such a distortion in the want from and the want for. Mm. They want from their daughters so much that they that they don't want for them a life yeah. devoid of sexual abuse. Yeah. You know, and Crazy. and so that's it's uh, terrible. you yeah. know, it, and so we can see how that can get unhealthy in any any anyway those two yeah. dynamics can get or then even maybe on the opposite kind of what you talked about in the aging parents sort of yes. bracket where that's where we <clears throat> are deficient. Yeah. yeah, we're deficient and kids are like parents are like, "Oh no, no. You shouldn't ever do anything for me. I'm going to keep, you know, yeah. doing this." And they can't receive from their mm-hmm. kids, and then you get to the stage where and the they kids need to can sometimes abandon, often yes. abandon their parents. Yes. We're seeing a wave of gray divorce in our society yeah. as spouses mm. are doing this, as they're saying, "You know what? You're getting old. You're getting unhealthy. It's just too much." Yeah, um, I'm gonna. Gosh, wow. I had a, I had a, yeah. I have a crazy. This is such a weird story. Yeah, yeah. most uncomfortable Uber ever, which I don't take Uber very often at yeah, all. Yeah, but yeah, I think yeah. My, yeah. A, couple, a few years back, my my car was in the shop, hmm. and it was just around the corner. So I got an Uber or Lyft or something like that. My Uber driver picks me up, sees that I had dreadlocks, 
starts chatting me up. It's yeah. funny how dreadlocks really open a lot of good conversations. I would imagine. Yeah. And and a lot of times I'm down for it. I'm like, okay, let's you know, like I'm an extrovert and and maybe this will lead to talking about Jesus. But I, yeah. today I'm like, I got a short amount of time. I want to get my car. I want to get home. <laughs> yeah. He starts chatting to me. He's talking about weed and all this stuff. And I'm because <laughs> of course since yeah. I had dreadlocks, I obviously I'm, yeah, you which, must. Yeah. I can't blame him for, for <laughs> assuming that by any in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I'm like, no, nah, you know, whatever. And I'm just kind of you know nod my head. And, and he's one of those guys who just really really going off in a weird direction. Yeah. He starts telling me, this is a, maybe a seven minute car ride. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But he starts telling me about this affair he's having. You know, he's an older guy. He's sleeping with this woman and she's married and he's he's like, I think he found out I was pastor at some point in the conversation and he's he's basically saying, man, I'm such a good guy because I told her that she should stay with her husband who's dying of cancer until after he dies while we continue to have an affair. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And I'm like, Okay. Like, you want a pat on the back? As buddy? a pastor, yeah. I'm used to TMI, but that was a lot of TMI. Yeah. In a short he amount went of deep time. real quick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah like, like, and the fact that you're wanting me to say, wow, that was such a moral thing you're doing. Yeah. And I'm like, I. <laughs> I know what I should do, yes. but all I can say is, ah. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, buddy. Yeah, that's a lot to process. Anyway, I mean, it's just, it, and that's just a, a great example yeah. of how, uh, you know, these things can get so distorted. But when, you know? And again, what a sad situation. Oh like, serious, on, a, on a serious level, what a heartbreaking situation. Yeah. But it shows that, you know, the deception that happens in that realm where... Mm-hmm. You know, somebody's dying of cancer. Yeah. Obviously, this wife's going through an emotional roller coaster of all this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And this guy's here. I, I don't know him, but I'm assuming yeah. taking advantage of a situation here um, and not being very helpful in this yeah. situation, you know. But then you can, can you could take that to parents, just like you said, that are divorcing because they're going, oh, my spouse is, is pretty mm-hmm. inconvenient now. So it's yeah. too hard on me. Yeah. Or even kids, like, mm-hmm. oh, my parents are getting old and it's getting hard for me. I'll just put them in a home or something. Mm-hmm. And no, again, no judgment on people that have to make some of those decisions. Yeah. But the complete, like, we, we've all read those stories of those lonely people in, you know, group homes or, or yeah. not group homes and, you know, retirement homes or whatever that really they haven't seen their kids in years. Mm-hmm. And the nurses are like, yeah, nobody comes and visits yeah. him or her. And, and it is sad. It's this yeah. sort of like we've, it's it's officially in that space where they're want like we we need to provide for them, even yeah. though they've provided things for us mm-hmm. our whole life. At some point, toward the end of life, that thing shifts. Yeah. In American culture, we're just not very good at that. Other yeah. cultures I've seen, you know, in Asia or any of these other places, yeah, they come home or they're with they're with them yep. every day and they're taking care of them and that's just the expectation. I mean, that, that's and it's hard. I get it. It's hard. But there it's are virtually no Asians in the foster system. Yeah. Well, um, not that there are literally none, but <laughs> compared to any other ethnicity, they're they don't they don't mm. exist in the foster system because that sense of of family duty is so strong. Yeah. Right. And so if if you know there happens to be an Asian family, mom and dad pass away, or yeah. you know CPS has to st- step in because there's some substance abuse issues or abuse or something like that. Yeah. There's someone in line in the family who understands. No, I have to step in, and yep. I'm going to step in. It's not yeah. the case with with other cultures. Yeah. Um, well, and I think there's, and this is something I I talked about in the first in the kickoff s- sermons for the series is. 
there's so many interesting statistics, and we're mm-hmm. about to dive into a bunch of them. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of interesting statistics, but one of the things I think we we kind of, for whatever reason, separate ourselves from uh, our choices in these relationships matter so much more than just for that relationship. Mm-hmm. So, for example, you know, marriage. When you look into the stats of Gen Z who's coming to church, mm-hmm. uh, 80% of Gen Z that's coming to church come from a stable two-parent home. Yeah. But there are fewer and fewer stable two-parent homes mm-hmm. in our culture. And um, and one of the things that I was saying is, look, you, you, you don't need to evangelize... You don't need to evangelize kids that grow up in a stable home and mm-hmm. stay Christian. Like, that's just a... Like it's a silly thing, and maybe yeah. it sounds too clinical. I, you know, and maybe it does sound too clinical. But if you want to affect the next generation, one of the best things you and can we're do on a macro, level. on a macro Obviously level, at a specific level, yes, yes. there's times when you, but on a on, on a, a macro, out, yes. and again, and that's where we're kind of getting yeah, into yeah. some oh, of these stats. Sure. You know, yeah, like very macro. so on a macro level, though, you want to if you want your kid to have the best chance of following Jesus, um, stay together. You yeah. know, like that's one of those things that. And no shame, again, that the Lord can redeem all sorts of situations, yeah. no doubt. But for the people out there struggling in their marriage and going, oh, you know what, maybe it would just be easier if this, you know, none of that is true. And I got so many emails after that first week, uh, people that have actually gone through divorce, mm-hmm. uh, and they said, you're totally right. I told myself throughout the divorce, if I just get divorced from this guy, it's going to be so much yeah. easier. Then it happened, and this one in particular, she said... Everything got so much harder. Yeah, and she was like, mm-hmm. "The warning I would give to people who are in a marriage that's just hanging on, not outside of abuse or something like that. Yeah, but just the marriage. Of, hey, we don't get along anymore, and we don't really love, e- quote unquote, love each other anymore. I, it's just going to be easier if we divorce." Uh, her warning was, "It's just not true." Yeah, and you hear as pastors, you hear it all the time, and so the these these things that, and again, this the series. So much of it was. Family relationships affect what happened in the church. There's mm-hmm. just kind of no way around it. And yeah. when you're in close community with people, you know, s- someone else's divorce in that community, it affects you. Did, did you, you know. read Us Before Them? Did you write uh, No. That? Uh-uh. Oh, man. Us Before Them? That, no. That's, that's the... Oh, Wh- who's that? The, What's that? I can't remember who the author was. Let me... Um, but, man, you're going to... That's... Oof. It's uh, so the book is. We're just having a sidebar without. Yeah, yeah, no, but it's but it's so good. And it's so yeah, good. yeah, yeah, yeah. The the book is it's about I think kind of the tagline is is something along the lines of like uh, uh, the need for a global children's rights movement. Mm. Um, and that's one of her. I mean, she it's so thorough. Uh, it, it's not. Um, oh, 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 Katie, Katie Faust. Yeah, yes, yeah, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I've you, heard I've heard of her. Okay, yeah. And she says some things that it's so funny in our. Cr- Current culture, oh man, are like what? You can't say that. You can't say that. Um, yeah, and she, but it really, uh, you know, and she, it's interesting because she comes she, because she comes at it from a, um, I'm not going to pretend that I'm not a Christian. I'm mm. not going to con- pretend that there isn't a religious component to what I'm saying, but also I can put that aside and land at the exact same position yeah. that I'm going to land at. And it's I, honestly, it really shifted my perspective on a number of things that I don't even need to bother getting into because it gets so uncomfortable. Where she, you know, but but you're like, no, that was really like that was a very compelling argument. Yeah. But essentially, the core of what she's saying, and this much I think I, I can, you know, I don't wasn't even it wasn't uncomfortable to realize how important this was. She says, we have put adult desires before children's 
needs hmm. um, in our culture. And one of the ways in which that is most especially detrimental hmm. is divorce. Exactly yeah. what you're saying. She hmm. she spells that out what you just described anecdotally. She spells yeah. it out statistically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's really very true. Good. And it's and that that's one of the things that I've read some stuff. Uh, I've read uh, some pretty uh, poignant quotes from Katie Faust mm-hmm. that are like, whoa, but they're true, you yeah. know. And <clears throat> we talked about this last time we sat down in the podcast. Um, I think it was. But the pursuit of truth uh, always lands you into some places where you're like, well, this may not be comfortable, mm-hmm. but it's true. And yeah. in our postmodern sensibilities, we don't like that. Even if it is true, it's like, well, that makes me a little uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, but <clears throat> the truth is our relationships affect one another. Yeah. And that's the, I mean, this series, what's so complicated about it, and hopefully we do this idea justice throughout the series, but what you do with your family, what happens in your family affects the church. Yeah. And what you do in the church affects the family. Mm-hmm. There's these, this, this real deep connection there between these. So as we're diving into stats and all of this stuff, it really is to me, I think, this sort of, like, you've heard it said this, or we are hearing this from our culture, but I say this. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that Jesus yeah. framework. The You've heard it said this way, and that's what we're going to talk about. These, these are some interesting stats that kind of yeah. point at our culture and go, the sexual revolution, the stuff that was going on. I mean, what was the what was the book that, uh, that John Mark was talking about? You and I have talked about it, too. Oh, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. <clears throat> Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. You have to be an uber nerd to like that book, yeah. but oh my goodness. So like, good. Stick with the... it. Let your brain s- settle into the waters <laughs> of this guy's vocabulary and the way his brain yes. works. You have to marinate in it, but he just talks about you know Marxism, and he talks about uh, Freud, and he talks about um, who's the... Uh, Foucault. Foucault, and all these people, and he just brings all of this together and says... How how have we as a culture come to this point where we've defined ourselves by our sexuality? Like yeah. this is a this is a fairly new phenomenon historically. Mm-hmm. How did we find ourselves there? And <clears throat> it's beautiful and it's wonderful. But we've gone through the sexual revolution and all that stuff that you brought up on mm-hmm. Sunday. Uh, but now we're sitting in this place where we could actually look at the data, yeah. and we could go, well, since then, yeah. It's not had a great effect on our culture. Yeah. In your deep dives, what is what yeah. is some of the most poignant yeah. stuff you found? Well, and it gets even clearer when you talk about more recently. I'll talk about this towards the yeah. end of talking about charts and statistics and stuff. But the sexual revolution, the hard thing is when we talk about loneliness uh, and mm. the sexual revolution, there's not a lot of information because we only got really obsessed about tracking this kind of information relatively recently. Yeah. We we can talk about post-sexual revolution, some trends. We can observe some things, certainly anecdotally. Uh, we can look at some hard numbers like single-family homes. Mm. Um, really, that's that's when I, when I dove to say, okay, post-1960s, what was happening? Mm. It's really hard to find as far as loneliness in America. It's really hard to find hard numbers on loneliness at all that go before the 80s. Mm. Um, so unfortunately, that's far enough removed. Like we're at the tail end, so that like our, our you know our, our our benchmark there is is post sexual revolution. Yeah. However, what you can see is a precipitous rise in single family homes in America, and it doesn't mm. take too much thinking to understand that that at the very least would certainly lead to an increase of loneliness yeah. if you are a single uh, a single parent 
um, parent <laughs> in the home, mm. uh, you're probably a bit more lonely because yeah. you're the only parent in the home. Yeah. If you're a kid in a single parent home, you're probably more lonely because mm. you're, one of your parents is not in your life mm. or you're toggling between them both. Yeah. Um, you know? yes. And so yeah. it's not hard to extrapolate from that, that mm. there's going to have to be an increase in loneliness at the very least with that one factor. Yeah. Not to mention, of course, there were other factors, most likely, you know, I think we could assume that post-sexual revolution. But uh, so you see a precipitous rise that begins in the 60s. It begins mm. with the sexual revolution. Yeah. And then is it's kind of that that really sharp exponential curve, right? Um, and it's so contrary to what they were saying, like free love yeah. and everybody just, you know, like has sex with anybody that they want to. And that's going to solve all these problems. Yeah. And it actually just did the opposite. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm forgetting the quote specifically. Um, and I think it actually... Hmm, might be a Nancy Piercy book, but I think it's that book, uh, Them Before Us, where she says that actually the, and I can't remember which president it was, but the president who created no fault divorce mm. for all that it fixed, which it certainly fixed some real problems, mm-hmm. said that it was the greatest regret of his political career. Wow. Because of what it did for the rates of divorce in single parent mm. homes. Anyway, yeah. uh, moving yeah. on from that. So I think what, one of the things that was really interesting when you look at, um, some of the information looking back on generations, looking at currently right now, mm. uh, as far as uh, loneliness and the overlap between that. Uh, so we're looking at things like loneliness with among teenagers, loneliness in general, things about uh, people's sexual behavior, sexual partners in the course of a year, sexual, you know, mm. uh, there's some really interesting things. So there's a very interesting correlation that I found. So track with me a little mm. bit because we're going to explain some charts. But again, yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll put links in the description to articles that contain these charts. And, mm. and all of the original sources are trackable through those if you pay attention in the articles. Mm. It, it, or otherwise, I may have actually even provided a couple of the original sources in, in, mm. in the description. So um, there's this one particular chart uh, that I think is one of the most interesting ones when we're looking at... Um, the number of sexual partners in the last 12 months, this was done in mm. 2019, based off of birth year. And so this chart actually kind of breaks things down by generation, which yeah. in generation, the year of that is always a little bit, you know, everybody sure. puts, puts, you know, when we're just trying to put like yeah. frameworks around something that's a lot more dynamic. They're fuzzy messy. boundaries yeah. to generation, yep. right? Yeah. But, um, Something really interesting happened. So as you might expect, uh, looking at the number of sexual partners that people had in the last 12 months, uh, so again, in 2019, there's a general curve up. I think one of the funniest things, if you look yeah. at, the, at the chart, is the blip at the very beginning for those born, like, what, probably 1905-ish. <laughs> our, <laughs> yeah. Our, now, what was going they're, on they're, there? They're sleeping around a little bit. There's a little yeah. bump, you know, where they're sleeping with the average of two people, you know. Those but then it drops. 1905, it, it, man. It, so, yeah, those, <laughs> those oldest people, you know. What's so around. funny is it's like it didn't even really catch up to that blip until the millennial generation. <laughs> no, 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 That's no. That's wild. So, uh, but that, that was probably like five people, right, you know? <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah, that, that, that data's suspect to me. That, yeah, that, that little blip is suspect. That little blip, forget <laughs> it. That, that's, that's a total sure. suspect. I know, but yeah. you basically, you start off at about zero, you mm-hmm. know, generally speaking, and then and then the chart trends upward mm-hmm. as you get older. As you sorry, as you get younger, as you get to uh, later and later and later birth years, you have a pretty consistent trend upwards as far as yes. the number of people that these individuals slept with in the last twelve months. 
um, until you get to the millennial generation. Yeah. Um, it continues with that trend, but then it it, it bumps up. Uh, yeah. the, the 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 trend accelerates, mm. and then the oldest Gen Z, so those who are born in about ninety seven, which would have put them at sixteen years old around yeah. two thousand thirteen ish. Just mm. uh, which that's important. Two thousand thirteen, two thousand fifteen. These are important years. Yeah. Um, those who turned, you know, became teenagers or, or you know, their prime teen years, right around mm. then, they had a precipitous jump. Yeah. Um, so they're now sleeping with you see significantly that, that like more. 1997, yes. 1998, there's this huge jump They've in the amount of sexual partners. They've broken the trend, yep. which again, you know, millennials kind of started a, an acceleration of this trend, but there's yeah. just a huge jump there. Mm. And then immediately after that, it plummets. It's crazy. Like, if you see this chart... Like Gen Z, if you're born, you know, 1997, 1998, boom, sexual partners mm-hmm. goes way up. And then it plummets below yeah. the silent generation. Yep. You're like, this is before, this is yep. even below baby boomers. Like now, all of a sudden, none. There's you know? obviously multiple variables at play here because yeah. one of which would be, hey, this is 2019. So we're talking fairly young people at the end of this chart. So those sure, born sure, in sure. 2002 So that are might still start teenagers. ticking up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but but nonetheless there's definitely a, there's there's more than just, you know, the age of people at play here mm. for sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and you so, so anyway. Yeah. Um so okay, well that that's interesting. Well, what's what's going on with teenagers around that time 2013 20, 2014 or t- sorry, 2013 14 15. Well, you look at the next chart here. Uh, and and there's a uh, actually a pretty long running study that asked eighth graders, tenth graders, and twelfth graders, basically how lonely they are. We'll mm. just simplify a little bit to say how, lo- how lonely they are. It's tracking that with a couple different questions. And what you see is uh, is uh, actually the the early '90s. You begin to see a lessening of the loneliness, mm-hmm. um, which makes sense. Some you know more technologies are coming out a little bit. You know phones are. Yeah. I mean not cell phones, but you know yeah. you know phones are there. A little more freedom. A little mm. you know. And even the internet. More families and, with cars. I've thought about this. Teenagers. Like even the beginning of the internet. It was it was a connecting thing, you yeah. know. At first, oh, you before, see this very yeah, clearly. You in see this, that sort of trend chart. where it's like, hey, now you can email somebody. Yep. Now you can feel connected with somebody. But there wasn't social media. There mm-hmm. wasn't all this stuff going. On. It was just a new way to connect with people. Yep. You know. And, and so that the loneliness among teenagers stays pretty. It levels out. Stays relatively consistent, but with a bit of maybe a downward trend, a bit of a bump in the mid two thousands. A little more lonely, and then it actually plummets down 2007 uh, the year the iPhone was released and down for everybody that's that's listening means it's good like yes. there's less less, lonely. less loneliness less it's lonely. going down they're feeling less lonely they're feeling more connected with each other iPhone comes out and we get a lot less lonely and really when you can see when phones are becoming accessible to teenagers cell phones you're seeing yeah. less and I remember this this was me yeah this was me I I graduated in 2007 mm-hmm. so uh, I experienced that cell phones increased connection mm. early days social media did what social media yeah. claims to do today but it actually did in the early 2000s yeah. in the 2000s. very beginning stages of it there was kind it of was a pure sort of social yeah <laughs> not anti we give it a hard time like hey this is what i'm eating or whatever but it was it's funny it, it was almost What's like an innocence on? with yeah. like a hey this and, is what i'm doing you know and and for you know for for my very narrow window of teenagers, you know, like who had cell phones in their pocket. I think I had a brick phone my freshman year that was I shared with the family, but we didn't mm. have as much money as a lot of other people. Yeah. And then by I think sophomore junior, I had my own phone, you know. Yeah. We were seeing each other all the time, my yes. friends. Like yeah. almost every weeknight we were hanging out. Yeah. Because 
we were texting into, hey, where's everybody hanging out tonight? Yeah, yeah. With our yep. T nine word text, you know, <laughs> yeah. if you know, you know, if you yep. don't. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, T nine predictive texting. Yep. Yep. It was a um, thing. And so you actually see that, again the iPhone really helped, and then things bump back up, but we're still at uh, at least. Kind of historically low levels of yeah of loneliness for teenagers. Yeah, very yeah, yeah. very connected. Very going around 2010, it it feels fairly static. Yeah. yeah, and then you see all of a sudden out of nowhere a huge jump uh, that's yep. happening around 2012. 2012. Yeah, but it really it really grabs traction. You know, 2013, 2014, 2015. Yeah. Um, and it mm. rises, rises, rises. I, I looked mm. so hard to see if there was a continuation of this data. I couldn't find a continuation of this data that brings us past 2015. Mm. But you, and I, but I mean, and we know COVID got in there and everybody got lonely, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm sure between 2015 and 2019, people got lonely, sure. right? Um, but and there is this one little anomaly, which you talk about right afterward, where you're like, this is also happening right at the same time. Yes, legalization of gay marriage which is interesting yes. well so that's so that's the point we're getting to right so yes i think we have a tendency to look at this information and we think social media and yes social yes. media is there it's true instagram got popularized around 2013 mm. but i think social media is just a fuel to the fire and this is the whole point of all of this mm. is why did this happen what happened in so we we see teenagers around 2013 2014 2015 who are more and more lonely yeah we yes. say we see those who became teenagers around that same time yeah sleeping with way less people but those who came just before 2013 yeah sleeping with way 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 more people yes what yeah. happened what yeah. broke it well 2013 so then we're going down to this last uh, or, or to this this other chart um we look at states in uh, in the United States of America that legalized gay marriage, right? 20, mm. 2004, I think it was, wow. uh, was it Maine, yeah. right? Yes. I mean, Maine was the first to legalize uh, homosexual marriage. Yeah, uh, I think nobody I even that. touched it for another four years. We mm. had a couple more states added to it. 2013, so in 2012, uh, the total number had slowly creeped up to, I think it's uh, uh, eight, Mm. Uh, if I remember correctly, eight states that had legalized gay marriage in twenty thirteen in twenty twelve. Mm. Twenty thirteen it doubled mm. to sixteen. Uh yeah. twenty fourteen yep. it doubled again. Yes. And then in twenty fifteen it was legalized across the nation by a Supreme Court case. Mm. Um and so it it's so you see this huge and so by the time it was legalized, the majority of states had already legalized it uh, at, yeah. at the state level. Yes, um, interesting. And so well, and I think, and I, I come back to what's what's so fascinating to me is, and I remember even being in the debates when this stuff was yeah. going on. Oh, yeah. And for a lot of Christians, there was like, "Hey, who cares? Like this, yeah. n- this is no big deal." You know, mm-hmm. I remember, you know, and I, I was a little bit older. You know, I graduated in two thousand, so. I was firmly at this stage of my life, married and, you know, had kids and, and, uh, and I was going, you know, this is not just, this is not a small thing. Mm -hmm. Like this is a re redefining, which I, I think the, the political right in America, uh, didn't have a good way to communicate this. Mm -hmm. Um, honestly, because they were, they're pretty much a secular right, you know? Yeah. And the Christian right, I think, was so worried about in this season being the seeker-sensitive that were like, hey, let's just kind of let live and let live, and yeah. we don't want to sacrifice um, uh, evangelistic opportunities by mm-hmm. being like too hard on this yeah. issue. But I think as we look back, we realize, no, the muddying of the waters of uh, of 
this foundational piece of relationship that we see all the way back in, in Genesis, you know, uh, that the muddying of that waters actually caused a ripple effect that caused a lot more loneliness, disconnect. And it's so interesting because we, in some ways, live in this hypersexualized world with yeah. pornography and all of these things. Like, there's more sex everywhere. And yet, the amount of sexual partners that the young people are having is going further and further down. Yeah. It is just like right you said. Right on the back end of shedding off some of these boundaries to sexual Yes, and it was just like you said. It was like you're conflating this, and it's and it's poisoning the well. Like mm-hmm. you're bringing sexuality into every relationship, and now you know, as a man, you're like, oh, I have a close friend. Now it's not like that anymore. Mm-hmm. It's complicated because people are like, oh, are you gay now? Are you, yep. you know, you know, whatever it is. Um, and that is bringing in this real complication mm-hmm. and real poisoning of relationships yeah. that we could see real tangibly in numbers. You and, know? and are smartphones and social media a, a variable in here? Yes, of, co- of course. Those of are the, course. Those are the obvious ones. But it just speeds but, up the thing that's already happening. But you, know? you realize exactly that, exactly like you just said, it's just fuel on the fire of the same thing. You know, mm-hmm. it, I don't think it's a mistake that these things are coming into play as, as our culture is pivoting in this direction. Yeah. And I think that these things are, it, it's like a. It's a, it's like a, a spiraling event, right? That that, that yeah. feeds itself, right? So we have social, we have culture going this direction. Social media is driving that, and then culture going that direction is driving social media, driving culture in that direction, yes. right? You yeah. know, and and so it's getting more and more and more in that direction. Social media does not have to do what it's doing. Yeah. Social media does not have to oversexualize us. <laughs> so social media does not have. We're to. the problem. Yeah. Yeah. And, we're and the again, problem. You can look at the early days of these charts, and you can say mm. actually, social media did in fact seem to be connecting us. Yeah. And making us less lonely for a few years. There, yes. Yeah. Right. And 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 so and I, it's pure sort of like yeah, childlike. Before state. we get algorithms going on at play, yeah. when it's just people saying what they're saying, before people are are utilizing it to actually significantly try and alter and distort people's sense of reality. Mm-hmm. A lot of the things that we're dealing with right now, I mean, and, and, this, and this plays out, you know, when you have people who are really lost in um, a lot of the, many of the ideologies, you know, I could say trans idea, but let's not even go there. Let's yeah. just say, let's say QAnon or let's say sure. Flat Earth or whatever. Yeah. Yep. You get rid of their phones <laughs> and in a couple years, not an issue. Sure. You yep. know, the, yeah. some of many of these issues we're experiencing, they only exist yeah. if they're magnified by these things. And, and yeah. so the extent to which we've fallen as far to which we've come as far as the shedding off of sexual boundaries and believing that it's good and healthy only exists at that level. I shouldn't say only exists, but yeah. largely exists because of social media. Now, yeah. well, society has been able to do that many times in history without the internet. For mm-hmm. sure, it's a yeah. human brokenness. Internet yes. has just well, and that's what I'm saying. Like you know, like I I, I look back on what what was the um what was the app that uh, Instagram came out with? Like it was supposed to compete with Twitter a few months ago. Oh yeah, I don't even know. And I joined it, and I can't remember the name of it. Um, oh. but I remember I jumped onto it, and everyone was like, ah, oh, finally, like <clears throat> social media that's going to be positive, and people aren't going to be mean to each other. And somebody posted on there, <clears throat> real poignantly, sorry, <clears throat> I love this, but somebody posted on there, they said, all of these people that are saying this platform is going to be different, they forget the problem of the other platforms, mm-hmm. and that's us. Yeah. We're the problem. Like, we're going to get in here, and we'll do the exact same thing. Social media is really that kind of black mirror. It's yeah. kind of like the, oh, yeah. 
hey, this is just accentuating this thing that's going on in our culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and can we say it's unhealthy for kids to be on phones? All that stuff, sure. But at the end of the day, it's reflecting the fallenness of mm-hmm. man. Mm-hmm. And secular culture has always missed the boat on this, that morality matters, that the morality of people matters. And as you see less people going to church, all of these things, they affect each other. Yeah. And you get this really unhealthy thing because people are divorcing themselves from morality. Mm -hmm. And you see this in all of this data. It's really interesting. Yeah, I think the the last data, the last uh, statistic here that I think was really interesting that that paints the same picture. Because you could say, are we really grasping at strongs? And I just, I got to say, man, when you pour over this information, a lot of similar information, you see, yeah, of course, phones and social media. But there, and yes, correlation doesn't necessarily equal causation. Mm But there really is a consistency from what I could see of the data that does seem to say, and I'm not the most qualified to say, I'm a guy with Google, you know what I mean? But I did did as good a job as I possibly could of Mm. making sure I'm looking for legitimate information. And and there are some- Well, you scrutinize yourself (laughs) when it comes to looking at data. Yeah, yeah. And And you looked at a lot of data and read a lot of books. That's like, this is the tip of the iceberg. I I tried to find some silver bullet data, and I found some that I'm not going to include links to, you know, something like studies of- um, uh, you know, I wanted to see like what's the correlation between loneliness and sexual partners, mm. and there's not weirdly there's not like a really strong, massive study, but there was a very large study in Malaysia mm. um, that tracked this among men and saw a strong correlation between sexual partners and loneliness. Mm. And of course, you could say, well, are they having more sexual partners because they're lonely, or are they lonely because they're having a sexual partner? And this, mm. these are these are things that that you could track, but no study that I could find has done that. Yeah. And there's a study among um, homosexual men, mm. and and unsurprisingly, you see a strong correlation. You see loneliness with those who haven't slept with anybody. You see a plummet with uh, anybody who's you know had one partner, and then you see a skyrocketing. Um, the more partners people have in yeah. general speaking. Yeah. So, yeah. And you see that across a number of different statistics, none mm. of which are quite a silver bullet or a super solid sure. study, but decent studies that show this in really small fractions. Mm. Um, but the, anyway, the, the data I wanted to get to here, the most interesting, one of the most interesting ones is looking at total life sexual partners um, based off of generation. Um, and I had to do some math on this. Uh, there's a link uh, to an article that has some of the information, but I did the math to make percentages because mm. what's interesting here is the, there's a gap. This isn't too surprising. There's a gap between number of total life sexual partners between men and women. Unsurprisingly, mm, yeah. on average, men have more life sexual partners than women. Mm. But then when you break it down uh, by generation and you look at the percentage difference, um, so this is where mm. I had to do some math. Um, uh, so you look at the percentage difference between um, men and women. And so with baby boomers, you have a difference. Uh, so baby boomers, uh, men, 12.9 sexual total life sexual partners, women, 7.4. That's a difference of 43%. Mm. Uh, Gen X, 16.1 for men, uh, 10.1 for women. That's a difference of 37%. Mm. Millennials, 10.8 for men, 13.4 for women. And that's women. the first time it switches. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's more and sexual partners for women. I wonder if women. I've done that, if I may have written that information down wrong, because I think... Because I don't remember that being, I, I may have swapped mm. them in, in in the way I wrote it down okay. in my notes. Here. All right, um, but you can go back to the to the link to see if. Uh, mm. But anyway, but the diff- the gap is nineteen percent, right? So mm. you have boomers forty three percent gap, Gen Z, Gen X thirty seven, millennials big jump down, almost mm-hmm. half of Gen X nineteen percent gap. So mm. basically, millennial women are sleeping, and I do think I inverted that on our notes here. Okay, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Millennial women are... But it's pretty on par. Yeah, are pretty <laughs> close to men. Yep. They're sleeping, you know, 
and 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 as we know, they're they're sleeping with quite a bit of people. Um, so this is total life, so it's not the biggest number. But mm. as for their age, they're sleeping. As we looked at in a previous number, they're sleeping with more people. Yeah. Um, now Gen Z are sleeping with way less people, as we already looked at uh, mm. compared to the other generations. Uh, we looked at one, or, you know, by by. 12-month period. Here we can see their total life is is way less. The gap between women and men for Gen Z is mm. 67% gap. Wow. Gen Z women have slept with... So Gen Z men and women are sleeping with way less people than everybody else. Yep. Gen Z women are sleeping with way, way, way less mm-hmm. than yeah. the guys. So yes. the guys at this point, again, they're younger, mm. 7.6 sexual partners, women 2.6. So sixty-seven yeah. percent. So why? So so it's come down, but it has disproportionately come down for women. Mm. Why is that? Mm. Well, interesting. Uh, there's no hard numbers uh, that that we can see here. I'm going to pop over to my other notes though and read a kind of risque quote off of Reddit um, okay. that uh, that I think defines it actually really helpfully. Um, I think anecdotally speaking, I think we, what we can say is is this conflation of intimacies is creating mm. a problem, right? Mm. So the way I said it on Sunday is they're just saying, I'm taking my ball and I'm going home, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's it's too painful. It's too difficult. You know, things are unpleasant the way that, you know, I'm, and so yeah. I'm, I'm lonely because all my friendships could be sexual and become sexual. Yeah. So I don't want that. And then I, and then I want, because, and that makes me lonely. So then I go to, to Tinder and I sleep with someone mm. and then that leaves me more lonely. Yeah. And, and, and you yes. know, and, and then there's this hypersexualized culture that's, that's thrown off more and more and more boundaries to sexuality. Yeah. More and more and more things that would have been considered unthinkable or considered the norm. Mm. People uh, talk about the, the pornification of society, right? Yes. That, yep. that an entire generation is learning about sexual intimacy from pornography, which is overwhelmingly violent, you know, and mm. all these kind of things. Yep. So here's here's a um, and excuse the graphicness of this quote, <laughs> if if you would. I warned um, everyone it's PG thirteen. Yeah. Um, but so one of the the second highest. So there was a Reddit thread that was talking about these exact same numbers. Mm. You know why Gen Z, Gen Z is sleeping with less people and the gap yeah. between men and women. Why that's gotten so big for Gen Z. Yeah. And so the second highest upvoted comment here, which for those of you who don't know Reddit means a lot of people said, yeah, I agree with this. Yes, um, yeah. Uh, she listed a few reasons, some of which were political and, and you know, just sure. aren't, aren't super relevant to this conversation. Mm. Uh, but one of the reasons she quoted, she said, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll read the quote here. She said, to be clear, I have no judgment about what goes on between other consenting adults, but I resent the pressure on anyone like me who isn't interested in casual sex. Most men my age, Gen Z, uh, mm-hmm. who are interested in uh, who are interested often want to do anal or choking and don't like that I'm not into that. Mm-hmm. I commonly get attitude from them when I say that's not for me. Mm-hmm. And so essentially she's just saying, look, mm-hmm. the way it's looking for my generation, the way sexual intimacy is looking... Wow. I don't want that. Yeah, I'm not interested in that. I maybe yes. I would be interested if it didn't look like this. Mm. But the shedding off of all of these boundaries, and this is not her framework at sure. all, because she would yeah. not agree with she. If this whoever wrote this heard us talking about this on this podcast, I'm sure that they would be, be very like, unhappy. What? Yeah. yeah. Um, but mm. like she's essentially saying, hey, the shedding off of these sexual boundaries is not a good thing for me. Yeah. No judgment on you, but I'm not into that. I don't mm. like that. I don't want that. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's because. 
it's gone too far. Yeah. And 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 where mm. does it belong? Well, it belongs getting wound all the way back mm. to sexual intimacy belongs between a man and a woman yes. in covenant marriage. Yeah. That is the only reasonable place to bring it to that is mm. that is clean and tight. Now, does that mean that two consenting adults shouldn't be allowed to sleep with each other? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't think society should incentivize it. Yeah. Um, but well, and I think what's interesting, and this is the other thing is, I mean, there's a lot of other data outside of sexuality that's interesting. So Gen Z is least likely to experiment with drinking mm-hmm. and drugs. Like there's just this interesting shift. And it's funny, these are metrics I think for churches 10, 20 years ago, we'd be like, great. They're, they're not having premarital sex. They're not drinking. They're following some rules that we like, you know. But I don't think it's for good reasons. Yeah. I don't think... Uh, I think lonely, it's because... They're depressed. 25% they're lonely, of depressed, them identify as LGBTQ. The hypersexuality of everything. And, uh, and really, even still, you've got the LGBTQ thing that is making people very lonely, very confused. Uh, just like you said, you bring sexuality into every relationship, all your friendships, everything. You're going... Now being really close friends with somebody could risk if you're uncomfortable with same-sex relationships which is still the majority of people Mm -hmm. you're gonna go well i don't even want to risk it i'm just like gonna sit at home and or maybe even scroll tiktok and it's easy fine with it yes and even fine maybe even you say identify as 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 bi or something like that but you're like i want to be close to this person as a friend yes but if i get close to this person as a friend i'll get close to this person potentially romantically and potentially sexually and i don't want that so i don't get close to this i think it is just like you said though and it's it's really it's perfectly stated it's poisoning the well of intimacy and i think in the church this is something that we have to realize like all of this information is so interesting on a sociological level um, but on a spiritual level, we have to know, and you wrote this down, our battle's not against flesh and blood, uh, and we're up against an enemy who wants to steal, mm-hmm. kill, and destroy. Yeah. The best way for him to do that right now in our culture is to get us to stay away from each other. Yeah. He doesn't care if it's sexuality. He doesn't care what tools he uses. Sexuality is a very point, po- mm-hmm. potent one, though. He wants us not interacting with each other. He wants us feeling alone. <clears throat> he wants us not going to church with one another and being in relationship with one another. He wants you lonely. He wants you never having kids. He wants like all these little things that are like steal, kill, destroy, wherever he could get his foothold in. And I think when you look at culture, it seems so stinking evident Mm -hmm. that if you, if you don't have a spiritual framework to looking at this, I think you're only looking at, it's like you're looking at all your data with one hand tied behind your back. You're like, well, I could kind of make sense of this. I, this, I understand this. But we're in a spiritual battle mm-hmm. right now, yeah. and I think we have to be, and this is what we're really striving for, at least at our church. Yeah, how could we be really loving, really, you know, um, under understanding of people who are getting trapped in this sort of lifestyle and going, man, I get it. You're looking for acceptance. You're looking for love. You're looking for all of these things. Uh, the church is really the place where you're going to find that on a real level. Yeah, having that perspective. But also having a clarity of, uh, hey, but also maybe you grew up in a Christian home and you're hearing all this stuff and going, oh, maybe this is okay, you know? Maybe pornography doesn't affect me and maybe I can identify as somebody else. And But no, there, there are real world consequences yeah. to, the, to the moral boundaries that we set as a culture. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing the negative fruit of it today. Yeah. And you know, and 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 the solution, like you're saying, is is just that, right? Like we just spent a long time talking about the problem. 
go back listen to the sermon Sunday if you want to hear a bit more about the solution. But just mm-hmm. to give it in a, in a nutshell, right? The church, we need to be an oasis of intimacy in a desert of loneliness and sexual brokenness. This is the solution, and we do mm-hmm. this by by going to Jesus. You know, yeah. intimacy with Jesus will realign our understanding of love, mm-hmm. and you see this in the way he interacted. Right, the woman at the well who was sleeping with all these different men, right? And he and he loved her just as she was. Yeah. You know, the woman caught in adultery, Jesus, you know, steps in front of the shame for her and, and, mm. and stops what was going to be the consequences for her and loves her just as she was. And Jesus so consistently says, now go your way and sin no more. Yeah. So it's, can we love you just as you are mm. in, in, in whatever ideology you're in, whatever brokenness, whoever you're sleeping with, however yeah. many people you're sleeping with, what you know, and sure. all of that? Yes, the church yeah. is the place where we go. And I love that if you ever watch mm. that that documentary on Mr. Rogers, right? Yeah. You know, he was I'd a believer. I love that documentary. Oh, so good, right? And he so and he good. would say, "Man, I, I love you just as you are." You know, like, yeah. and and that's so powerful. And there's that yeah. thing with the the guy on his staff who was, you know, uh, who was, you know, sleeping with men, and and there was a moment that he had where Mr. Rogers looked right at him and said that, looked him in the eyes at the end of the mm. show and said. I love you just as you are, mm. you know, and and w- how healing that was for the guy. Yeah. But I, I, he was going to go to like theology school. I mean, it was crazy. Yeah. He was going to go go yeah. into ministry, yeah. and and that's what that's what we do. We love yeah. people, but yes. we, but loving people doesn't mean affirming all of their decisions. Yeah. It doesn't mean sometimes we don't need to point out the failures and the sin and sure. the wrong, and, yeah. and we trust the Lord. That relationship but, timing, all of that stuff, yeah. Really but there are, but it does mean that we're looking for opportunities that are the right place, the right time, the right way to say, yeah. look. I love you. This is going to hurt you. Mm. Last story, and then we'll wrap up because we got to go. Yeah. I recently had a woman come to the church who felt like the Lord is convicting her to leave her her female partner, her girlfriend of mm. of seven years. And um, uh, we had a really powerful, awesome conversation. Her and myself and another woman on our staff, and, mm. um, and about about what the Lord is calling her to. And she essentially at some point said, "Because I love my girlfriend, I know I need." I know I need to end the relationship because this is not good for her. Mm. Um, these weren't my, I didn't spoon feed these things. To her. This <laughs> yeah. is what she was saying out of Because the, the Holy Spirit is way better at ministry than we could ever yeah, be. Yeah, and she could see it. She could see that this was harming both of them. Mm. Um, you know, and, and um, Jackie Pilhari in, in her book, uh, yeah. Gay Girl, Good God, yes. it says essentially the same thing. God said, God said to her at some point, this relationship will be the death of you. Mm. And if we if we love if you love the person you love if you're in a homosexual relationship if you yeah. love them you're not going to continue down that route because it is poison for them yeah. um, as yes. well as for you and that's why God loves that's why God mm. tells us these things because He cares yeah because He wants us to have thriving intimacy of all kinds mm. or at least of whatever kind He has for us that may yes. not include sexual intimacy it may include sexual intimacy yeah. whatever any and all intimacies that He has for us He wants them to thrive. <laughs> Um, and so yes. that, that that's the call for us in the church to be the place where we show people what thriving intimacy looks like for single mm. people, for married people, yeah. for those who'll be single the rest of their life, for people who are only attracted to the same sex, yeah. who choose to to follow Jesus and live a life of celibacy out of obedience to Him, maybe imperfectly, yeah. um, but for them and for all of us to find the intimacy of Jesus here in yeah. the church in the body of Christ. Yeah, and th- and I think this has to be the the oasis and the island in a culture um, that's really just unhealthy in the way they look mm-hmm. at these things. And yeah. the way that we do that is we consistently live our life real authentic with one another. Iron sharpens iron. There's tension sometimes in relationships. That's okay. 
but we have to be the place that doesn't bring sexuality into every relationship. Mm-hmm. Because when that happens in the church, it brings a ton of pain. Yeah. We have to be that place, though, where there's that brotherly love that's totally appropriate, where there's that place where it's like, let's pray for one another, let's be with one another. I mean, the story you just shared, with this woman, there's a lot of intimacy that you and this other person on staff, and I love you had another woman on staff there with you, but there was an intimacy in that room mm-hmm. that's beautiful and wonderful, and it's right, because she has a conviction of yeah. the Holy Spirit, and you're there like in this loving way, and I just picture you going... Like, I'm, I'm here. I'm here with you. I know it's going to hurt. I know it's going to be really hard, but you're making the right choice. You mm-hmm. know, like that that level of intimacy is not something that's found in the church when you pop in for an hour every Sunday. Like, mm-hmm. it just, it's just not going to be there. Yeah. Um, but we have such a golden kingdom opportunity right now to show an intimacy that is healthy, mm-hmm. that is Jesus-centered, that is Holy Spirit-sensitive. Um that does create really clear, healthy boundaries uh, sexually. Like, mm. these are things that, they're not points of judgment, they're points of intimacy. You know, right. this is, yeah. these are opportunities for intimacy. So I think for all of us in, in this season, as we're going through it, I mean, this is, and I said in the beginning of the series, like, don't miss a Sunday morning because we're building on each other, you mm-hmm. know? This is one point in a, like, in myriad yeah. of points that we're going to be talking about. Uh, in terms of relationships in the church, relationships outside of the church in your family, and the health of of each one of those is vitally important. So uh, hopefully today was really helpful. Like I, like we said in the beginning, it's PG thirteen, uh, but hopefully it's really helpful. We really we want to engage in society's pain and clearly looking at these numbers, clearly diving into this. This is a pain in society that we have to engage mm-hmm. in. Um, and so if there's anything that's in this podcast that you're just like, hey, I'd like to, to dive in a little bit uh, deeper, you could always email us, um, uh, jump on our website. There's a lot of places where you could connect with us. Um, but we're going to be doing these pop, popping in. Alec and I have really gotten in the habit of going, there's a lot more to say on this yeah. subject. Let's pop downstairs and record ourselves for yeah. you know an hour or two. So um, thank you so much for, yeah. for listening. Uh, and please continue to, to pay attention to, to these podcasts because these are really, really worthwhile conversations. So God bless you. Have a great day.